0: The Glory Center would like to welcome you to this podcast. We hope that this teaching will encourage and minister to you. And now, the message. I've been looking at mercy, or more specifically, the God of mercy, as I've been referring to it, because that's what He is. He is the God of mercy. And we left off um, last week in Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul says, he says, God who is rich in mercy. And I can just pull that up here real quick, but um, we are going to start and spend probably most of our time, I'm not sure, but we'll see, uh, in the Old Testament today. But I'll pull Ephesians up here, just kind of get our minds minds in that direction. Ephesians chapter 2. That looks awful. Anyways, just by way of reminder, but God being rich in mercy, rich in mercy. Because I, you know, I had, I've been told, I, I was a guest speaker uh, years ago at a at a, a place, uh, at, not here in Michigan. Um, and I went and preached for a few days there. And then uh, the the person who was um, not the senior pastor, but one of the leaders there on staff and uh, that would uh, kind of help take care of me as the guest speaker, that kind of thing too. Uh, we went out to dinner after, uh, I guess one of the night services, I'm not sure. But anyways, um, and this was one of a thousand times that I've been told this or informed of this. But I was told that God's mercy and grace has a limit. They, they felt I needed to know that God's mercy only goes so far, you know. Which, uh, well, yeah. And if a person can think of this, the self-righteousness in that statement, it, it is staggering. And I don't blame a person because people are taught that they're taught that well, you get saved by grace through faith, mercy apart from works. But after that, it's up to you to keep the 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 ledger balanced, you know. And God keeps short accounts, and supposedly, and of course, there are no there are no books, there are no accounts. Jesus cleared the deck; he cleared the books two thousand years ago. Lamb of God, who takes away the sin, the missing of the mark of the cosmos, the whole world, right? He's taken care of sin. The, goos- the gospel, you know, is the good news. News meaning something that's already happened. It's something that's already taken, pl- I and mean, that's what's supposed to be, the good news. And foundational to the gospel is that sin has been taken care of. It's yeah. resolved. Jesus, John 1 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that was 2,000 years ago. And I read that and I think, well, did he succeed or did he not? He's not working on it. He's not trying to get to it. He didn't, you know, Jesus, well, if if at first I don't succeed, I'll try again. No, it worked. When he said it's finished, it is finished to tell us die. He meant it, right? And so it's the hardest thing in the world for Christians to believe the gospel. I mean, it's just, we've been systematically, systematically indoctrinated into believing in an angry God who is hard to please and who really struggles. It's almost like, I wish God would be as forgiving as he demands us to be. That's kind of the way you come. Because supposedly, you know, it's like, well, if you don't forgive, you're going to bust. You know, if you got one iota of unforgiveness in your heart, you'll bust tail wide open. Because God won't forgive you. Wouldn't it be nice if he at least kept the same standard he tells us to? If not surpass it? That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Well, thank God. You know, if we just think these things through sometimes. They're so illogical, you know? But thank God. And I am starting in Lamentations, by the way. Um, But thank God. These misrepresentations, these caricatures of God. Are inaccurate, as we see when compared or contrasted against the person of Jesus, the friend of sinners. Hey, babe, are you doing something? Uh, this is, see, did it, um, did the screen go off on the computer or something? It's not going to work. Oh, something's all right. You let me know when you think you might get it. Uh, Lamentations 3, though. Um, ma, 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 ma. Let's start in verse 17. Lamentations three, seventeen. Okay, let me try to reconnect up here. What's that? Yeah. (laughs) Indeed. No, it keeps not working. Anyways, Lamentations 3.17 says, My soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. You ever been there? My soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness, so I say, verse 18, my strength has perished, and so has my hope from the Lord. Verse 19, remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. I mean, this is, this is you know, not the kind of place you'll want to be. Just, just as he says through here, soul rejected from peace, forgotten happiness, strength has perished, affliction, wandering, wormwood, and bitter. Sounds like a country song basically, right? Verse 20, surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. Verse 21, this I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. And one thing I noticed there is as Jeremiah says here and this is something I try to encourage us all in uh, periodically he says here this i recall to mind and so there's the you know Paul told Timothy Timothy you stir up and in 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 the greek that's uh, it, it's a, it, it means to kindle a fire to kindle a flame stir up you know, blow, uh, get the fire going. But he tells Timothy to do it. You stir up the gift of God that's within you. And thank God there's there are those who encourage us at times and who strengthen us at times. But there are those moments where, as this here says, I recall to mind, where we have to, as David did, strengthen ourselves in the Lord sometimes, you know. So in his low moment here, he's his own Uh, choir. He's his own amen corner. He's his own, you know, he says Lamentations 3.21 This I recall to my mind therefore I have hope. He says this, verse 22 The Lord's and some translations say mercies and there's different uh, different ways but it could be translated His mercies or His loving kindnesses indeed never Cease. Never cease. And again, that word uh, loving kindness is there. That's the that's from the Hebrew word hased and, and I don't I, I'm sure someone could say it better than I do, but one of those chesed. I'm not too good at the glutteral stuff, you know. So one of those deals. But uh, it's a very rich Hebrew word. Mercies or loving kindness is there. Um it's you could parallel it to what the New Testament, the New Covenant word grace is. It's, It's the covenant, it's really the covenant word. His covenant faithfulness, His covenant tender mercies. All right? So His mercies, His covenant mercies, His loving, and that's why loving kindnesses, they, in translations, this word was put together because it's just that rich and that strong and his love or his kindness wasn't strong enough. So like loving kindnesses, you know, that's just one way you could portray what the Hebrew word has said is. And I think that's beautiful. Loving kindnesses. Now notice this, never cease. For his compassions never fail. Never. So, and then look at verse 23. They are new, what's new? His loving kindnesses, his mercies, his compassion. They are new every morning. Every morning. There is a greater chance that the sun won't rise in the morning than there is that his mercy and compassion won't be there in the morning. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed, he says, verse 22 again, never cease. For his compassions never fail. Verse 23 again, they are new every morning. I just love this emphatic language. Great. He says, is your faithfulness. Verse 24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. Now, he just told us a few minutes ago that, uh, how does how's he say here? My soul has been rejected from peace. And then he says in verse 17, I have forgotten happiness. I mean, this is not a good situation. But as he is reminding himself, see, this is, this is a, a laid out scriptural example of how we live very often. Looks treacherous, looks daunting, looks overwhelming, looks impossible. I don't have hope. It's been this bad for this long. Da, 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 da. But this, he says, I recall to mind. And you have to, because just like I told you the the minister who uh, took me out to dinner and wanted to inform me that God's mercies and grace do have a limit, thank God these scriptures say they don't. Just to be able to think that way, I I don't know if I can... The the foul stench (laughs) of Phariseeism in such a statement like that, you could only because in a, here's the, in other words, his mercy runs out. <laughs> Thank God I've got my act together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's sick, man. It's it really is. It's so twisted. And and I've been in. I've spent a lifetime being systematically indoctrinated by well-meaning people who love God. Just like all the rest of us are well-meaning and love God and still aren't perfect yet. So I'm not casting, that's not my point. I'm not throwing stones at people. Um, But I want to, at the end of the day, I think we all want truth. Whatever, Whatever it looks like, we want truth, right? As the people of God. And if there was anything I mean, if God did ninety nine point nine 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 percent of redemption, and he left 0000001 percent up to us, we'd be done. It wouldn't be a snowball's chance in Hades that we'd be able to pull it off. What what you know the the uh A chain's, what is it, only strong is its weakest link. That old adage. Hello, weak link. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Hello, weak link, my old friend. Pretty much. But see, he finds courage. He finds strength. He finds wherewithal, gumption, you know, just sometimes the ability to drag yourself up off the floor, you know, just the ability to... I mean, maybe you've already thrown in the towel. But you know, God can revoke your... He's better than a referee. He can revoke that towel throwing in. He's got you. I think of uh, when Orla and Rhonda... Uh, Came well. I know Tamara. I believe Tamara had come a uh, little bit before them, just barely, maybe something like that. I can't remember exactly, uh, but you did come before. But I remember when Rhonda came. We were in schoolcraft at the old school, and I never met Rhonda. Um, so she's sitting, you know, here and um, up near the front. It seemed like um, when when they visited or like, I can't remember. You must have been there, I would think. But um, but anyways. So I didn't know her, but the Lord gave me a word for her. And the long and the short of it was that you know, as I told her when I gave her that prophetic word that morning was uh, basically I told her, you're not on the shelf. God hasn't forgot about you and putting you on the shelf and all this kind of stuff. Uh, His gifts and callings are without repentance. His grace is still upon you. You're still called. You're still anointed. Well, the night before that, She's, I guess, you know, laying in bed and praying and more or less telling the Lord, I'm done. I'm done with my calling. I'm done with my ministry. I feel like you've just taken me and put me on the shelf, which is one of the exact phrases I said to her by, you know, by the spirit of the Lord. In other words, she had thrown in the towel. And yet, even when we throw in the towel, God will still come after us. He will leave the 99 every time if he must and come after the one. Amen. Hallelujah. So just finishing these scriptures here, he says again, the Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. Verse 23, they are new every morning. Hallelujah. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Verse 24, therefore I have hope in him. Two more verses. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. Amen. Now let's turn over to um, Micah, chapter 7. Micah, chapter 7. And then we'll uh, begin here in verse 18. All right, Micah seven eighteen, to begin. He says, Who is a God like you? Then he says, "What kind of God this is?" In other words, a God who pardons iniquity. Well, he's the only God that does that. He's because he's the only one. Just for the record, but that would be one reason why. But in contrast to the other gods of this time and many times throughout history, um, this isn't quite like the gods what people believe the gods to be like, in other words. So who is a God like you? A God who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in what? In unbelief. Changing love. Notice that. That's one of the hardest, just unchanging love. That God's love really is consistent. And that's that's very difficult. Uh, I've shared this story before. How many of you ha- have happened? Some of you have, but probably not. Anyways, uh, a minister by the name of Kevin Zadai. may have heard of him. Linda has. I knew Linda, Sherry, Yeah. He's uh, He was on Sid Roth a few years ago, and ever since then he's kind of become a little more just, you know, well-known and that type of thing. Anyways, Kevin Zadai um, went to heaven, had an encounter with the Lord, met the Lord, all that, you know, face-to-face. And just one of the things that happened in that experience was the Lord told him, He said, I always, now we don't base everything on visions and dreams and all that, but if it aligns with Scripture, we can, you understand, base everything on Scripture. But there are in count. God's not dead, He's not retired. I mean, read, you know, we read the Bible. It it is bizarre to me that people who say miracles have passed and stuff like that, from Genesis to Revelation, all you have is a God who always works miraculously for thousands upon thousands of years in His people. And then here we are in the New and Better Covenant and the Holy Spirit retires? Just bizarre to me. It just makes no sense to me. Anyways, um, Kevin Zadai said one of the things the Lord said to him was, when I look at my people, I always see you as righteous new creation. You are always righteous in my in my sight, in my presence. And I, which I knew, I know that from Scripture, so I didn't, you know, it was fine to hear that, but I know it from, you know, from Scripture. But it, I sort of got a little not sad, but just a little, what you know, just whatever. Because I knew that millions of charismatics all over the world watching good old Brother Sid's show there would hear him say that, and they would live on that Buzz for like a day or three, maybe a week, but because not only are most or so many not not taught the truth that we are the righteousness of God in Christ, we're actually taught very often against it that you are only as righteous as your most recent actions as your most recent performance right um, I had a great um check something here a quote from brother hagen but um that's why it's important to be anchored in the scriptures because your again our feelings our our psyche our makeup does not lend itself towards that because i don't just magically feel like i'm right with god i don't just magically feel like god is uh just crazy in love with me, as Scripture shows him. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, you don't just wake up just walking on sunshine and clouds and every day. Just not, you know, not the way it seems to go all the time. And yet, anyways, when I watched that, I, I thought, well, that's true. But the next charismatic, next week's going to come on the show and say that God gave him a vision of how angry he is at the church and how all this kind of stuff. And then, well, there goes that. Because they're not anchored in the Word just based on the vision of their favorite preachers. Right? And so thank God that our favorite preachers might have encounters and visions and stuff like that. And thank God we do as well. But I would uh, filter everything through the scriptures, and through the God revealed in Jesus in the scriptures, right? Now, continuing here in Micah 7, says, Because he, delight, he delights in unchanging love, verse 19 says this, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Notice he does this. He's the one who treads our iniquities underfoot. Then in verse 19, he says, Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Then in verse 20, he says this, You will give truth to Jacob and unchanging love to Abraham, which you swore to our forefathers from the days of old. In other words, he's calling on why is God this faithful? Why, why are His mercies new every day? Why will He tread our iniquities underfoot? In, in other words, why will He redeem us, rescue us? Because in verse 20, Abraham and our fathers and Jacob, the covenant, the covenant that He made with the fathers, in other words. It's not based on how good we are. It's not based on how you know, faithful and perfect and us upholding our iniquity. It's because He's faithful. Hallelujah. Because as Paul said in Timothy once again, even if we are unfaithful, he abides faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Can you dig it? All right, let's jump over to Isaiah now. Isaiah 54, just an incredible portion of Scripture. Woo! Isaiah 54. Uh, I'm, I'm good. I'm just tired of fooling with it. Thank you, though. Isaiah 54, and then we'll begin in verse 7. <clears throat> says for a brief moment. Now this is, you know, speaking of Israel during uh, uh during if you guys ever read like 1 Kings, 2nd Kings, 1 Samuel, 2nd Samuel, 1, it's basically the story of how unfaithful and how sinful and how idolatrous Israel and their kings were over a long period of time. I and mean, when you go through the kings there, you know, not the most sanctified bunch you ever come across. I'll tell you that much. You know what I mean? I mean, if you look, if you look at like a, a church denominations, I mean, just pick one. They may have a few bad apples, but compared to those kings of Israel, my gosh, being a good one was the exception. Even for like the Catholics, if you think about the popes, I mean you've had on you can count on one hand the uh, basically the number of bad popes compared to the or think about you know uh, your, you know if you grew up in a denomination or think you know we in, you know in other words, in today's world we're inundated with the media and it feels like every day some preacher did some some terrible thing. Uh, we're not doing too bad compared <laughs> you know compared to those god-awful kings there, but hallelujah. So this is one of those times where Israel's, you know, been in rebellion. In other words, this is during some of that uh, similar fashion. So, uh, verse what I say, seven, for a brief moment, I forsook you. But see, well, well, let me just keep reading here. But with great compassion, I will gather you. In an outburst of anger, I hid my face. See, notice verse seven. He told Israel, I forsook you. Verse 8, I hid my face from you. In the Old Covenant, and and really at any time, that's really, you'll you'll see time and time and time again. Even Romans chapter 1, which refers back to Sodom and Gomorrah, says, the Lord says, I turned them over. That's really, if you want to give a description to wrath, it's not God actively coming in and off with their heads and you know, it's a turning over. God will respect our will and our freedom to choose, even if our choices are negative and will bring harm on ourselves. But even in the midst of that, He won't forsake you. He'll be with you there, ready to help at any time. He says, but, verse, verse 8 still, with everlasting loving kindness, with everlasting said covenant mercies, faithfulness, With everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. Verse 9. For this is like the days of Noah to me, when I swore that the waters of Noah would not flood the earth again. Isaiah 54, verse 9. So I have sworn... That I will not be angry with you. Now wait a minute. That cannot be correct, because I've been told be very angry quite often. Who am I going to believe, Max? The angry, the angry preacher, or the loving? God, for I have sworn Isaiah 54 9 that I will not be angry with you. I didn't sneak in, I didn't sneak into your Bibles last night and put that verse in there, that was already there, just so you know. Max, when you have a gift, you use it, brother. <laughs> I have a triple doctorate in sarcasm. Hallelujah. <laughs> I don't mind. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you, nor will I rebuke you. Part of me wants us to take like 10 minutes of silence and meditate each of us on that, just on that verse alone there. Just, not that I'm going to, but just to get it in there. Because here's what's going to happen. Hypothetically, for some of us, you're going to go home today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. You're going to turn on the TV or you're going to see some book that's going to try to convince you of how angry God is with America now, or how angry he is with the church, or how angry he is with... Just pick somebody. He's just really ticked off at pretty much most of them, apparently. Apparently the cross didn't work because that was supposed to be what took care of sin. So if God's still angry about it, and I say this sarcastically and jokingly, he should have sent a better Savior. If what Jesus did didn't work, which apparently, from what I hear so often, it didn't. But thank God it did. Thank God, Jesus worked. Thank God, the blood worked. Thank God, the covenant worked. Amen? Amen. He said, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you, nor will I rebuke you. Now look at verse 10. For the mountains may be removed, and the hills may shake. Now you can look at that on any level. Sometimes just in your own life you know, the foundations are trembling. Like everything is falling, you know, your whole life is falling down all around you and coming apart. And you know what I'm saying? Or even even if you wanted to be more literal here, uh, mountains moving, hills, sh- you know, natural disaster, whatever. Don't, it's not God. He's not the author of evil, right? So no matter how you want to look at that, but anyways, verse 10, the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my has said, my loving kindness will not be removed from you. And my covenant of peace will not be shaken. Says the Lord, who has compassion on you. I would just recommend if anyone is planning on getting a new tattoo. Verse, You get verse 9 here tattooed on the inside of your left eyelid, and then verse 10 on the inside of your right eyelid. That way this is always before you. You know what I'm saying? Please do not get a tattoo on the inside of your eyelids. It's a joke. But these are lived-by verses. These are life verses. Because you're feeling... I swear, I I slept last night better than I've slept all week. I am in a great mood. I'm not angry at anybody. But, (laughs) I just, I've lived under being, I've lived under the hell of being taught this God who you just never know. It, It just depends on the mood of the preacher or whatever vision they may or may not have had the night before. So today God's good, and tomorrow He's going to let us have it. I wish He would make up His mind. Well, thank God He did, 2,000 years ago. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the covenant blood guaranteed the forgiveness of all humanity, so that whosoever will can freely receive His gift of eternal life. And perfect forgiveness. Your salvation, your forgiveness is not in question. It's not in doubt. It's not been sent upstairs to the higher up ups, higher uppity ups, so they can figure it out and have a committee and have a board meeting and work on it and think about it and figure it out and then send it down to HR. It's been settled. The president and CEO of God and Sons Incorporated said it is finished. Hallelujah. The blood worked. We, we got the nerve to stand up and say the blood never loses its power and then three seconds later we make people doubt whether they're even forgiven or not. I said that out of a good mood that sounded angry. But it's good. All right. Uh, I am about to start wrapping up here but um, I just want to show you here something from James chapter 2. James chapter 2. And then we'll begin in verse 8. James chapter 2, verse 8. Oh, I did sleep good last night, and it was wonderful. Whew. Hallelujah. All right, James 2.8. He says, If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law, the new covenant law, according to the scripture, quote, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. See, we read stuff into these. Uh, notice what he says here: If, however, you know you're fulfilling the royal law, love your neighbor. He says you are doing well. But we are so beaten down with condemnation and sin consciousness. He does not say if you are, however, keeping the royal law according to the scripture to love your neighbor as yourself, then you're probably still saved and you're doing really good. And but you better better watch it, better watch that thin line. Well, he does. He does. He doesn't say if you're doing this, you're con- you're keeping yourselves. He just says you're doing well. You're living according to God's intended design. That's what New Covenant holiness and godly living is about. It's not about God approving or rejecting you. It's about helping or hurting your own cause and that of those around us. Right. That's what our godly living is about. Uh, Jesus in in the Sermon on the Mount talked about letting our good works you know, shine around us and all about us to the world around us so that the world would see it. And um, there's many different verses that, that speak similarly to that. Now, obviously God is pleased with His people living godly and all of us, you know, I don't, as a believer, we're not made for sin. It's incompatible with our nature. With who God's made us to be, so it's like David. You know, David put on someone else's armor, and it just didn't fit, and he just didn't. Wor- it didn't work. It wouldn't fit. Wouldn't help him get the job done. Well, as believers living godly, living in accordance with the Scriptures is simply living out who we already are by our nature, by our new creation, because we've been made godly. Therefore, we can live godly. But legalism has made godly living. And a rigid demand when in reality, godly living is a promise of grace. It's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of all your hard work. Actually, Paul says in Galatians 5, the works of the flesh. Works. See, that's what works gets us. And then he lists all the debauchery and stuff there. And then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit. What can I produce through my my self-effort and hard works and, and trying and get the works of the flesh? Like Paul talked about in Romans 7. But what can his spirit produce within me by grace through faith? The fruit of the spirit, right? All right. He says here, verse 9, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now look at verse 10. This is powerful. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of that one point. Of all. He's become guilty of all. I've heard it, you know, I've God only accepts your best. <clears throat> he only accepts perfection and i don't have any wish i could find some well thank god we have in the person of jesus amen he becomes guilty of all see this see people i don't trust me it it, it takes a it can be extremely disorienting for people to to Try to come out of a legalistic mentality, a works based righteousness. And because in legalism, it's just like, well, just give me the rules and I'll just keep the rules and praise God. Relationships are much more complicated and messy and real. You know what I'm saying? And just give me the rules. just give me the rules, I don't know, it just, how do I say it? It, well, it just doesn't work. It simply does not work. And some of these things I talk about quite often, but again here, notice James says, whoever keeps the whole law, and and yet stumbles in one point is guilty of all. So I want you to think, um, I'm not going to do this, although I would be interested. But, for example, if we handed out a piece of paper to each person, gave you a pen, and said, hey, you've got five minutes, write down all of just the Ten Commandments. I've done this. In rooms with only ministers, and have yet to date had anyone that could remember them all in that moment. Maybe it was the nerves, you know. Maybe they just put on the spot. Couldn't just the Ten Commandments? It, you know, there's more, right? There's more than just the ten, because that's the yeah, because that's what he says here: the whole law. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. So you think, well, I don't, you know, I keep the Ten, even if we're just going to reduce it to the Ten Commandments, which he doesn't here. He says the whole law very clearly. And see, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus did not raise the stand, because I, Jesus took it to the next level. He made it harder. He, no, He didn't. He, he was revealing what it always was. But the Pharisees had watered it down to where it was manageable, to where they, they, they deceived themselves into thinking they were actually keeping the rules and living the standard and being right with God through their own performance. And so they thought the Pharisees' idea was, as long as I don't kill you, for, with un, unjust means, you know, of course we could kill you, you know, based on certain, you know, laws. As long as I don't just outnet, out outright murder people, you know, then I'm good. But I can still hate you in my heart. Or as long as I don't actually slip away for a, a night of, of whatever with someone besides my spouse. I didn't actually do it course in my heart I well according to Jesus you've already done it now obviously doing it in your heart versus actually engaging in something can have very drastically different ramifications but that the point is your own your own heart you know Jesus goes on to talk about uh, how would I uh, if I had something here you know he talked about the the speck in your own eye. I don't know if I can so it would be like if Ken had like a little a little toothpick in his eye and here I am with this thing here. Ken, let me get that out of there for you, buddy. Hold on. Let me get this uh you know, it's it's like look in the mirror, dummy, you know. There you go, Isaac. Hopefully I didn't mess it up for you there. Okay. There we go. Peace be upon you. It really wrong. <laughs> You know, I don't have time to manage and worry about and judge all of you for all your sin. I got my own stuff to work on by the grace of God. I've got my own issues. I've got, my, you know what I'm saying? And yet Christianity, when it's reduced to this sin management program, that's, that's what it breeds. It breeds this us versus them, I, I, you know, I may not be as bad as Max, but thank God I'm better than Ken. You know, that mentality. Just that whole, or vice versa, you know, whatever. But, but the gospel obliterates all of that junk, you know? So in other words, verse 10 there, he's become guilty of all. May, may we all step down from our, our high horse this morning <laughs> and humble ourselves before the cross because that's our only boast. Verse 11, Closing here. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you commit murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So in other words, if I get arrested today, if I'm driving, if I leave here and I'm going 150 miles per hour and they want to throw me in the clinker, I can't say, you know, well, hey, I I didn't commit arson. I didn't set that building on fire. I still broke the law. You know, so it, it, yeah, (laughs) yes. He says here, verse 12, so speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. Not the law of Moses, the law of liberty. Verse 13, so beautiful here. He says, for judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. Oh, that is so beautiful. And if you think about the mercy seat, you know, the the Ark of the Covenant, and then you, uh, inside of the Ark of the Covenant, you've got Aaron's rob that budded, you've got, the in other words, you've got the covenant terms, uh, more or less. And then you've got, it really it can represent different things in, on one hand or another because like the Ten Commandments are the foundational covenant terms between Yahweh and Israel. So on one hand, the Ten Commandments inside the Ark of the Covenant represent simultaneously man's rebellion and law-breaking, but at the same time it represents God's Faithful, utter perfect faithfulness. Man's unfaithfulness and rebellion. God's utter faithfulness. And then you've got the manna. Well, what does the manna? All right. Well, on one hand, it represents Israel mumbling it again. Man's sin. Because what are they doing? Well, what'd you do, Moses? You bring us out here to die? Were there not enough graves in Egypt? I mean, thanks a lot for getting us out of four hundred years of slavery. Way to go, you know. <laughs> I can't imagine how many times a day Moses must have. Went, Why did you call me to these people? You know, I don't know. <laughs> Every day, God God parts red seas. God rains manna down from heaven. I mean, just on and all they do is complain. Hallelujah. Yeah, yeah, we're bored with yeah. And so it represents their mumbling and, and groaning and grumbling and complaining while simultaneously representing God's faithful provision in the most impossible of situations. Their sinfulness, His faithful faithfulness and mercy, both Ten Commandments and then uh, the manna, and then you also had Aaron's rod that budded. And if you read the book of Numbers, what was that? They were complaining against the leadership. God, you know, God's appointed leadership, Moses and Aaron, and. Um, You know, the the different leaders put their their rods there and then the one that butted was for... So in other words, God vindicated them and um, suffice it to say, they represent man's rebellion, man's sin, and yet on the other hand, God's faithfulness. In other words, mercy over judgment, right? So if we wanted to do it in a court of law, what, what could they have deserved? Judgment. What do they get? Faithfulness, provision, mercy. Ah, hallelujah. And then the, the, the Ark of the Covenant itself, you have what goes over those things? The mercy seat. So mercy triumphs over judgment. And then, of course, you've got the two angels there, the cherubim, and their wings are they're made of gold and they're touching, and then and then what happens? They come into the grave and there's an empty grave and what do you have? Two angels. The angels there representing this was the true, the blood of Jesus. He's the true Ark of the Covenant. He's the true mercy seat of God. Amen? Hallelujah. Thank God His mercies are new every morning. The Glory Center would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope that it is encouraged and ministered to you. We also would like to invite you to check out our website at glorycenter.org.